Uh, well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Harold Hutchinson here. I'm head of research at Investec. Um, I'm glad to be able to welcome our two senior analysts in utilities and alternative energy spaces uh, to be with me today. That's Martin Young and Mark Elliott. Uh, I thought it would be an interesting moment for them to give their perspectives on COVID and how it's affecting aspects of the uh, UK power market and indeed more broadly the utility space. Uh, Martin, maybe I, I should uh, start with you. Now, I know you wrote recently in a piece that you thought that COVID would impact all parts of the supply chain uh, in energy and utilities. Could you elaborate a little bit for us on that? Yes, absolutely, Harold. Um, I think the best way to look at this would be from two different angles. Uh, firstly, bad debt risk, and then secondly, volume risk. On bad debt risk, the simplest way to think about this is that suppliers, both in the domestic and non-domestic markets, are arguably cash collection agents for other actors on the value chain. And over 75% of the monies they collect are actually paid away to third parties. And those third parties can include networks, generators, government, the administrators of various industry and environmental schemes, etc. And now if there's not enough money collected by the supplier to pay all of those parties, then first and foremost, the supplier clearly has a problem and could fail. Now in turn, that could see the bad debt risk passed along the value chain as other actors are then unable to collect from suppliers. There is a mechanism uh, within the regulatory framework called mutualization uh, to address such shortfalls, uh, albeit that in these times, sharing shortfalls across remaining participants runs the risk of creating a domino effect and or could be undesirable in its current form, given the additional burden it places upon financially stressed consumers and businesses. And then secondly, I said we should look at, um, at volume. Now, the risks on volume are more likely to be felt uh, in the business market where businesses have had to shut up. Obviously, those of us who are working from home are arguably consuming more electricity and possibly more gas at this, uh, at this time. If you're a business supplier and you're long electricity and gas and you have to unwind those hedges, you are unwinding those hedges into a lower price environment and are likely to take a loss. And if you've got a mismatch between the way that you charge your customer for volume and the way that you pay your input costs on a volumetric basis, then you've got an additional problem. Now, it's important to note that on networks, networks are not immune from volume risk uh, either. Each of electricity and gas transmission and distribution has fixed and volume linked pricing in the charging structure. And we've estimated that the volume shortfall for networks could amount to half a billion pounds in the year ended March 2021. Albeit that as things stand, that shortfall would then be recovered two years later. But as I've suggested uh, in respect of uh, bad debt risk uh, and mutualization, it's not implausible that revenue would need to be rephased to ease the recovery burden on the end consumer. Right. 
Um, and Martin, I know you actually had a conference call as well with Ofgem, the set of investors, on some of these things. I mean, those are some fairly punchy numbers you're talking about. How do you think Ofgem, the regulator, is thinking about these sort of issues? Are there any easy fixes or is this trouble on the way? That's a that's that that's a very good question because um, hitherto the the off-gem narrative has very much been that there are various governmental schemes in place to support the ultimate user of of power and gas. You know whether that be some of the business loan schemes or the furloughing scheme, which actually works its way through to the the pocket of the individual uh, consumer. Um, but we've also noticed that Offwatt has proposed bad debt protection for business retailers. So you've got a bit of a mismatch between the way that the water regulator and the energy uh, regulator uh, is working uh, at this particular uh, moment in time. And I think against that backdrop, you know, Offgem has now admitted, and, and they did this on the call that we held last week, that it has worked up a number of options that could be put in place uh, if needed, albeit that the trigger points uh, to pull those levers have not yet been met. Now, there are no details, but if you ask me, some of the things that could be done would be relaxing payment deadlines for various schemes, extending the mutualization periods that I'd previously uh, referred to, capping supplier bad debt risk, and even rephasing network revenues over a longer period of time. But I think there's one important thing to note here, that it's imperative that regulatory integrity is preserved and that is doubly essential given the importance of energy uh, in the broader energy transmission and decarbonisation of the country and the economy, which in turn requires a lot of investment. So, so clarity, consistency and integrity is needed to stimulate uh, that investment. And ultimately, any monies that are lent or rephased within the broader system will at some stage have to be paid back. And I think it's imperative that we have clarity as to when and how that would happen. Okay, well, th uh, thanks for that, Martin. Uh, Mark, I'm sort of listening to Martin and thinking that um, obviously the industry is under a period of a bit of strain. Now, one of the key themes in the industry before COVID was the whole decarbonisation question and our attempt to take CO2 out of the, uh, the, the environment. Uh, do you think some of these COVID problems are actually going to affect the speed at which any decarbonisation agenda in the UK can be um, can be rolled out? What, you know, what are investors and, and corporates saying to you on, on that sort of issue? Uh, there's a range of views out there. Um, they're inevitably, and um, I think there's quite a lot of the don't know category at the moment. But... On balance, I think certainly from the investor perspective, a lot of those I've been speaking with feel that uh, a post-COVID-19 world, whilst we will have a period of disruption, plans will come together and may in fact accelerate aspects of decarbonisation agenda. Um, a point that is often cited today um, is I think we can't get away from pollution as well and people are seeing clean cities uh, clean skies and if as industry ramps back up and we lose that I think that'll sort of make the, the stronger point that people want to tackle this and sort of therefore there'll be greater pressure to move forward. I think the other thing we've seen also from the corporate's perspective is whilst certainly plans that were in place are going to slip to the right, rolling out of new 
renewable systems are going to take longer, deals are going to take longer, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're going to see is whilst plans uh, are going to uh, slip back, I think the desire uh, uh, to move ahead and get stimulus in order to drive forward a lot of these plans are going to sort of uh, be pushed forward. I mean, VW and the big autos have been uh, pushing the EU for sort of uh, scrappage schemes um, to encourage electrification of cars and so forth. That's what they're angling for there. Um, so I think there's a lot of chance that as plans come together, and certainly we're also seeing other corporates lay out um, studies and, on strategies to sort of manage their decarbonisation uh, agendas internally. So whilst progress, hard progress on the ground is set to slow, I think what we're seeing are more time being given to how to uh, more time being given on planning out routes to achieve the goals that still remain in place. Those 2050 goals, no one's doing a U-turn. Uh, in fact, arguably, I think the Korean government that's just been re-elected with a strong majority, uh, their environmental agenda and 2050 uh, carbon neutral targets were firmly emphasised and front and centre of their policies, and they, they won a big majority in that. So I think there is still progress, um, but it will be mixed and it will, there will be slippage on hard asset development for the time being. All right, okay, that's interesting. And maybe it's a question for both of you, but I'll... I'll start with you, Mark, uh, since you're on. Uh, I mean, has the market priced all this right? I mean, what are you saying about some of your key recommendations, the ITMs and the series powers that have been doing well in the market pre-COVID? How, how, how are they shaping up now in this new world? Well, I've been seeing the likes of ITM and Sarah's and others with sort of strong IP in energy transition technologies are actually proving impressively resilient and, and very much outperforming most of the markets and, and, and in some instances have been recovered a lot of the lost ground uh, from the initial COVID disruption and almost back to levels they were at before. So um, I think the market sort of recognises the value in these longer term uh, technology orientated companies. Um, I think I'll hand it over to Martin to see how he's seen the utility guys in that respect. Yeah, I think the way to, to look at the utilities is arguably put them into two, two buckets. Those who have the, the network exposure or a majority of network exposure within their business mix and those who have more uh, volumetric and consumer-based exposure, particularly to the end uh, user market in the business uh, segment. So on the network side of things, you have the, the UK uh, water uh, names. They arguably have the lowest uh, revenue risk as they don't have uh, much by way of direct business custom, albeit that there is some risk there. In the middle ground, you would probably have the, the likes of the, of, of the national grid. Uh, it has pretty good regulatory protection uh, in the UK. It does have regulatory protection uh, in the US, albeit that they have uh, 7.1 million uh, customers in the northeast of the US, many of whom might find themselves in difficult you know, situations, either economically or logistically, when it comes to uh, paying their bills as they uh, fall due. So there's arguably a bit of bad debt risk uh, there. And then you take it all the way to the other end uh, of, the, of, of the value chain, and you have the likes of, of Centrica in particular, uh, SSE to a lesser degree, who have uh, business uh, custom uh, exposure, both in terms of volume and bad debt. And, and those two companies have been 
uh, somewhat negatively impacted uh, by the, the COVID-19 uh, crisis. The one stock that I haven't uh, mentioned uh, is, is Drax. It's uh, pretty unique uh, within uh, the mix in, in the UK. Yes, it does have uh, some business customer uh, exposure, but the investment case with Drax is very much centered on uh, the, uh, the power plant that it has up in Yorkshire, as, as well as other parts of the portfolio, the, the pump storage facility that it has in, in, in Scotland. Both of those provide uh, a great deal of flexibility to the energy system in the UK. That's going to become uh, more important as we uh, decarbonise. I would expect to, to see that uh, play through. And uh, the Drax Power Station is very much part of the critical infrastructure here. It's pelleting business is part of the critical infrastructure uh, over in the US. So as long as the supply chain you know, keeps uh, functioning, I would say that Drax has a, a degree of insulation uh, from all of this, and that remains one of our key positive picks. Okay. Uh, well, it sounds certainly that there's some resilience there in the sector in terms of the stock market, or maybe the stock market has actually got a little bit too bearish in the short time, as uh, in the short term, as it often does. So. Um, if anyone listening would like to follow up on any of these themes, uh, we're open for business. I'm sure you have Martin and Mark's details. Please get in touch with us at any stage. And we hope to be talking to you again soon.